Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Lydia. I'm excited to be with you. I've been on staff here for about a year and soon to be the campus pastor of our second location, E2. Uh, so it's so good to be with every one of you. It's an, always an honor and privilege uh, to speak from the front here. So I wanted to take a minute and reflect on the series that we're in because we're only in the second week of a new series called It's Personal. And the heart behind this series is this, that every person on our teaching team would have the opportunity to come up and share about a particular biblical character that they have related with, that they have been inspired or encouraged by. Uh, And last week, Brad shared about the man of Joseph and his life and the concept of worry. And uh, if you didn't get to be here for that, you can go ahead and listen to the podcast. But today, I'm going to continue our series by talking about a woman named Deborah. And when I was reflecting and thinking about a a character, a a person, an individual that really has encouraged and inspired me, she was one of the first to come to mind. And you see, Deborah is what I call a bold leader. The definition of bold is this, showing an ability to take risks, confident, confident and courageous. Showing an ability to take risks, confident and courageous. And I really hesitated to use that word bold. When I was praying over the passage, I just, the Lord just kept saying bold, bold leadership. And I, here's why I didn't want to use that word as the title or that phrase as the title of my sermon. I knew that when I said bold leadership, many of you would disqualify yourselves. Many of you would say, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not going to stand on the stage or I'm not going to give people direction But this morning, I want to encourage you and say that, in fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are being asked to be a bold leader. Following Jesus is tough, and it requires bold leadership. But what that looks like, I hope you'll hear throughout the message, is different for everyone. There are plenty of people uh, that are bold leaders that might not be fit a certain type, like Deborah this morning. And I want you to be encouraged to know that God calls us to be bold, to boldly approach his throne, to be bold in our faith, to be bold in our love. Every single one of us is to be a bold leader. So don't disqualify yourselves this morning as I work through the passage. Boldness can be very self-centered. Some people who are bold are often, they bulldoze people, right? Or they have their agenda or their ideas and they can be obnoxious. But Deborah, Deborah was bold for the sake of others. Deborah was bold for the sake of a nation. And that is who I want to be known as. That's why she inspires me is because she is someone who took risks and was courageous for the benefit of other people, for the benefit of generations coming after her. So Judges 4 and 5, we're only going to read 4 today, uh, is a story that's full of some crazy surprises, as you'll see, and the story of a very bold and brave woman. And Judges is the book that we're going to be reading out of in the Bible, and I wanted to take a minute to explain to you what a judge meant, because the term judge in the Old Testament is not the same way that we use the word judge today. A judge in the Old Testament uh, was someone, a leader, not selected officially by the people, but as someone that was selected and put into place by God. They were not a king or queen, and they didn't have a dynasty, Uh, They were chosen by the Lord to drive out the oppressor 
and give rest to the land and its people. So a judge is so different than the way that we use the term today. And we don't know who the book of Judges was written by, but we do know that it seems to have been written by multiple hands and multiple people who had various sources and stories. And this book is a collection of stories of the nation of Israel, and it was handed down and told verbally, passed down from families um, through villages on horseback next to the watering hole. I mean, this passage, all these passages that we're going to see in Judges were real live stories that people were telling their little children as they raised them up. And the theme of the book of Judges, just to give you an overarching idea of where we're landing in chapter four, is this theme. It's the same cycle over and over again. If you read Judges from beginning to end, you're going to be exhausted and frustrated because you're going to see the same thing happen over and over just with different people. (laughs) And it's this, Israel, the nation, revolts from God. They say, God, I don't need you anymore. I can do it on my own. And they They rebel and they turn away. And then the second thing that happens is Israel is then oppressed by various sources because they've turned their back on God. And then the third thing is Israel's judged, in this case, by Deborah. And the fourth thing that happens is Israel is rescued or delivered. And it's the same cycle over and over again, like I said. And if you know anything about the history of the Israelites, I mean, you just kind of pound your head over and over, but then you realize, oh, I'm just like them. (laughs) So the scripture is going to be on the screen and I'm going to read Judges 4 and I'm reading it from the message version because I felt like it was a little bit easier to understand. Unfortunately, there are a lot of names in here that aren't easy to pronounce. So I'm going to ask for you to bear with me. Um, The message does not alter the names of people or places. So that's a good thing, but it makes it for a little bit of an interesting time when you're speaking on it. So Judges 4, verse 1. The people of Israel kept right on doing evil in God's sight. With Ehud dead, God sold them off to Jabin, king of Canaan, who ruled from Hazor. Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim, was the commander of his army. The people of Israel cried out to God because Sisera had cruelly oppressed them with his 900 iron chariots for 20 years. Deborah was a prophet. Now, a prophet is just an inspired, just, but is an inspired proclaimer of God's word. She was the wife of Lapidith, She was judge over Israel at that time. She held court under Deborah's palm, which means she literally uh, would conduct her, her business and her ministry underneath a palm tree. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hills of Ephraim, the people of Israel went to her in matters of justice. She sent for Barak of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, it has become clear that God, the God of Israel, commands you Go to Mount Tabor and prepare for battle. Take 10 companies of soldiers from Naphtali and Zebulun. I'll take care of getting Sisera, the leader of Jabin's army, to the Kishon River with all his chariots and troops. And God says, and I'll make sure you win the battle. Barak said, if you go with me to Deborah, I'll go. But Deborah, if you don't go with me, I will not go. And I have to pause right there and say how scandalous and bizarre and untraditional that would have been in this time. In a time when men would pray every single day, God, thank you that you did not make me a woman. This man asked this woman to come with him because he doesn't want to go without her to save a nation. Incredible. And she said, of course I'll go with you. But understand that with an attitude like that, there'll be no glory in it for you. 
God will use a woman's hand to take care of Sisera. Deborah got ready and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together. Ten companies of men followed him, and Deborah was with him. It happened that Heber the Kenite had parted company with the other Kenites, the descendants of Habab, Moses' in-law. He was now living at Zananim Oak near Kadesh. They told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera immediately called up all his chariots to the Kishon River, 900 of them, along with all his troops who were with him at Herosheth Hagoyim. Deborah said to Barak, Charge! This very day God has given you victory over Sisera. Isn't God marching before you? Barak charged down the slopes of Mount Tabor, his ten companies following him. God routed Sisera, all those chariots, all those troops, before Barak. Sisera jumped out of his chariot and ran. Barak chased the chariots and troops all the way to Herosheth Hagoyim. Sisera's entire fighting force was killed. Not one man left. Meanwhile, Sisera, running for his life, headed for the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. Jabin, king of Hazor, and Heber the Kenite were on good terms with one another. Jael stepped out to meet Sisera and said, Come in, sir. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. So he went with her into the tent. She covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please, a little water. I'm thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk, not water, and gave him a drink and then covered him up again. He then said, Stand at the tent flap. If anyone comes by and asks you, Is there anyone there? Tell him, No, not a soul. Then while he was fast asleep from exhaustion, Jael, wife of, he- wife of Heber, took a tent peg and hammer, tiptoed toward him, and drove the tent peg through his temple all the way into the ground. He convulsed and died. More people laughed at the last service of that. <laughs> Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera. Jael went out to greet him. She said, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. He went with her, and there he was, Sisera, stretched out dead with a tent peg through his temple. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. The people of Israel pressed harder and harder on Jabin, king of Canaan, until there was nothing left of him. I told you it was a weird story, full of surprises. So the story in brief follows the outline that I just shared before. Israel's oppressed by this man, Jabin. Israel's then judged, which remember judged means like led, not judged, by Deborah. Israel rescued through Jael and Barak and Deborah. So you have two kind of kick-butt women in this story, right? Jael and Deborah who just like come in and help save this nation. So the other day, I decided to pick up a kid's Bible here at church because I wanted to see if this story was in it. I wanted to see if they had some really good pictures and details of, of a tent peg being driven through a temple. So I, but I was curious because, you know, I've been in the church for about 26 years now and, you know, grew up in Sunday school and I don't remember this story ever being taught. Like I don't, and I don't remember the first half even. Like we didn't have to go to the JL part. We could have just talked about Deborah. But I don't remember being taught that. And then I thought, you know, I've actually never heard a sermon on Deborah. 
So, you know, I thought, well, this will be a great person to study and to, to teach on. But I'd always, you know, in my personal devotion time, found her inspiring, found her as someone that would motivate and encourage me, but I'd never heard a sermon on it. But to my dismay, as I said, this story is not in a lot of our kids' Bibles, and that's probably because uh, our kids' Bibles can't hold every story that the adult Bibles do because there's a lot of pictures and sweet, innocent white people and, you know, just make it look all angelic. But fortunately, I think we have the opportunity to change that this morning by learning about this woman, Deborah. And here are three points that uh, I want to share with you that I have taken away from her life. And the first is this, know who you are. You know, as a child, I grew up uh, being told that I could do and be anything I wanted to be. I was told, you know, if you want to be a mechanic or a doctor or a lawyer or a zookeeper or a vet, you can be that, Lydia. You can be whatever you want to be. I believe in you. We support you. And so I grew up thinking that I could do anything, that there wasn't anything that I couldn't do because I was a girl. And uh, it was interesting going to a Catholic school for junior high and then a Baptist-rooted school for high school um, and then being called into ministry. Because not only were my junior high and high school not really, mo- were not modeling that for me at all, um, my church that we had been, we'd been in multiple churches, but none of them were modeling a, a woman, a female pastor either. And the only opportunity for them was to, women was to teach Sunday school largely. And when I felt like, you know, I knew that I loved the church and I'd been brought up in it and it was helping me along with my faith. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, I think this might be a path you're moving in. I was really kind of confused, but I was more angry and frustrated because I started to recognize kind of the injustice and inequality around me. And so at 17, I went to our associate pastor of our church to have a very frank conversation. I can remember sitting across from him in that room with the desk in between us. And I I said, Jim, um, I noticed that you don't have any women leading here. That's kind of a problem for me. Like, and it was a problem for me, not just because I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor, but just as a young woman who, who believed in other women. I had an issue with that. And he, I remember, he was just kind of like, I didn't see this one coming. And uh, I said, you know, I feel like if God's, God might be calling me this direction, and if he is, I need to know that my church family supports me and that I would be able to, to practice my gifts here. And he looked at me, you know, just going senior year of high school and said, you know, we love you, we care about you, but you need to know that you'll never be able to do that here. This isn't a place that you're going to be able to, um, to walk in that calling and that gifting. And uh, I was, you know, ticked. Um, <laughs> and um, rightfully so, I believe. But uh, I went and... I started to, to look at other options, like what could I do? I, live in the, I lived in the Yakima Valley uh, at the time, and there was only one other church in town that I could find, I started to ask, that had a female pastor, one, in the whole valley, and that, that wasn't teaching, teaching children, and, and I value that very much. But, and so I found her, and I just said, can I shadow you? Could I like, follow you around? I want to learn from you. And, and she said, yeah, and it was a four-square church, and the, kind of, you know, the rest is history. Here I am nine years later, but... I think that Deborah is an incredible story of showing that she knew who she was. This is a woman who knew that nothing could stop her if God was on her side. 
And you know, Jared gave a great sermon on Mother's Day about uh, this topic of women and men in the church and at home. And so I'm not going to get into that. That's not the point of today's sermon. But I, I want you to know that I can't just gloss over this very obvious fact in Scripture that here is this woman who's leading and judging men in Old Testament times. She was a woman that led a nation in the Middle East to victory during one of the most patriarchal eras ever. She made decision for a nation and served as an intermediary for God. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. It's absolutely incredible that this is right here in our Bible. And I didn't say to Jim on that day, have you read the story of Deborah? (laughs) I don't think that would have gone over very well. I graciously exited. But Deborah is one of the 12 judges God sends to his people. And you know what? She's the only woman. And what I think is interesting, though, is in this section, the Bible doesn't say, look, everybody, here's a woman judge. Isn't that progressive and dripping with equality? (laughs) Like, that was not the point of this passage. There's no disclaimers or qualifications. Just a simple statement that clearly Deborah knew who she was and she didn't find it necessary to apologize all over herself or be afraid of what people thought. She knew her call and that God was using her. And I also think the Bible doesn't make a big deal about Deborah because this isn't a story about what a woman can do. It's a story about what God can do. Verse one tells us, again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So God sells them into the hands of King Jabin of Canaan and his army commander Sisera. And after 20 years of oppression, the Israelites learn their lesson, at least this time. And they cry out to God for help, who sends them Deborah to deliver them. It is God who is the hero of this story. He's the merciful one. He's the redeemer and rescuer yet again to the Israelites. Deborah is a conduit. She's just a willing vessel and servant used for God's purposes. And that is what you and I should be. That should be what we strive for. And so often, like Deborah, we cry out to God about circumstances and issues that are ailing us or our world, and we say, God, send someone. And often he says, well, what about you? Maybe I want to send you. What are you going to do about it? And so he looks at Deborah praying for the nation and says, well, what about you, Deborah? My friend Blake, I met him in college, and he's an amazing, amazing young man, and I think we have a picture of him. There he is. Big old smile on his face. He has a cerebral palsy. He was born with his twin sister, and unlike his twin sister, he had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck at birth and um, resulted in very permanent handicap and disabilities for the rest of his life. So he has trouble, he can't eat on his own, he can't um, drive, he, he has issues walking, he can walk, but it can be painful on his feet because he has to turn them in, and so he has a scooter that he drives. It takes a very long time for him to write papers, it can be hard to understand him. And what was amazing about Blake when I met him in college is that he didn't let anything stop him. He, he is, continues to be a hero of mine. He was in our wedding. He rode the scooter down the aisle with one of the bridesmaids on the back. I mean, he is amazing, amazing young man. And 
Blake was the first in his family to graduate from college, from George Fox, the four-year. His twin sister didn't even do that. I mean, it's just amazing to me, right? And now he leads this thriving ministry with Young Life for other handicapped kids, and he takes them to camp every year. And right now he's in the middle of writing a book, which I pre-ordered, little plug there. But amazing man that, that just knows who he is and what some people might see as a liability, God sees as an opportunity. What Deborah, being a woman, what everyone else probably was thinking was, what a liability. But God saw an opportunity. So what needs move your heart? Where has God placed you? Perhaps you have a passion uh, for writing, or you have a passion for helping people fix up their homes, or you have a passion uh, for kids. How could God apply that? Maybe you're brokenhearted whenever you see a single parent or abandoned pet or a hungry child. How is God asking you to be the solution to your own prayer? Rick Morley says, sometimes God calls upon the elderly like Abraham and Sarah. Sometimes God calls upon the morally compromised like David and Paul. Sometimes God calls on young women like Mary. And sometimes God calls on ancient female judges sitting under a palm tree. You know, I so long to have a strong female pastor in my life that I could look up to, that I could follow in the footsteps of. And at 17, I didn't have that. And so God said, well, what about you? Why don't you be that for people? Why don't you be that for the young women that come after you? And so that, that is why I just so am encouraged by Deborah and her being the solution to the, her own problem, right? So for those of us who've grown up in the church, we often say that we believe God uses everyone, but the reality is that we rarely live like it. You see, if we really believed that everyone has the potential to be the hands and feet of Jesus at any moment, we would live with a much more sacred perspective. We would anticipate Jesus around every corner and in every conversation. We would live with greater strength and trust because God could come forth at any breath. Fear would have no place in our homes because we would know that Jesus, the living God, is in me and he's in you. If God can empower a woman in the Middle East, sitting under a palm tree, he surely can empower and equip you. He wasn't into cultural norms. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about what's normal. We live under kingdom rules. And I'm so grateful for that. The question has never been and never will be, does God want to use me? The question is, are you ready to be used? Know who you are. Point number two, do your part. So Deborah, she clearly did what she was prompted to do. She knew who she was, and then she went and she did something about it. She did what God called her to do. She served God and her country in a time of great moral decay and tragedy. She led Barak in the defeat of Sisera, prophesying and judging. And she, she just did what she could with what she had. I don't imagine that she obviously had very much. It's not like she had a hut that she was doing you know, her ministry out of. She was literally under a palm tree. As a doctor, 
You can diagnose and heal. As a student, you can study hard. As a parent, you can raise your children well. As believers, we can follow the teachings and examples of Christ. We do what we can do, and God will do what only God can do. He will take the little we offer and make much. When we, be, we, when we begin to listen to God and do what he desires, we are no longer defined by our bank account or our relationships or our gender. Deborah was not known as Mrs. Lapidus. She was known as her own person, a person who Barack didn't even hesitate to say yes to when she called for him. And when we strive to serve God, we're not defined by our broken relationships. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by what people think of us. What we should remember about Deborah is that she faithfully answered the call. I want to be remembered that same way. Not for who I am, not for what I did, but for faithfully responding to God that God would use me. He would work through me. That's what I want to be known for. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the parable of the talents. And he, he talks about these various, these various people that are given um, gifts or talents, and some of them squander them, and some of them bury them. And I look at Deborah, and I go, now that's a woman who did not bury her talent. That's a woman who wasn't scared that she was going to lose everything, who wasn't allowing other people to intimidate her, and so she just, she just went away. She stepped faithfully and boldly. And you know, we're all in different roles, yet when God's Spirit leads us and guides us, the world around us can be changed. And at the very least, someone's world next to us will be changed. You give what you can. There's a story that we got to hear last week at conference, a pastor's conference, of this Japanese man who was living in America and then was called with his family, his, his kids and his wife, to go back to Japan to do missionary work there. And he did not want to go. He did not want to go back to Japan. He knows how hard it is to do ministry in Japan. People there are not open to the gospel. It's a, it's a very difficult terrain. And on top of that, if you didn't know, missionaries don't make a lot of money. And he has a family to provide and support. That's a very real thing. And so he said to God, like, I, I don't want to do this. You know, I'm scared. I don't have what it takes. And God reminded him of this experience that he once had where he walked through a haunted house. And I don't know how many of you have done haunted houses, but um, in our family, we think they're really fun and scary and we like to get scared. And so I remember, you know, this experience where you go into a haunted house and there's like, it's claustrophobic for one thing. It's hard, like you don't have a lot of room to move around. It's pitch black and there's like things that are come out and scare you, right? And they're dressed up in weird things. And in this experience, the man talked about how all he could do to get through that haunted house was follow the feet of the people in front of him. That's all he could see. And if he focused on that, everything else would fade away. The people that were coming to scare him, to get him off course, he, it wouldn't even bother him because he just followed these feet step by step by step. And he said, you know, those feet, that's what Jesus does. That, those are Jesus's feet. And I just followed him step by step. And I didn't let the fear and the anxiety overwhelm me. And I followed him to Japan. That is bold leadership. 
That is an example of someone who did what they could, which was, I'm just going to white knuckle it and follow the feet of Jesus as best I can, even if it's just an inch at a time every day. That is bold leadership. For some of you, bold leadership might look like praying for the person that you don't know in a restaurant because you just felt like God said you needed to go talk and pray with them. For others of you, uh, it might be just letting God overwhelm you with his peace as your child drives away with their driver's license for the first time. That is bold leadership. Ultimately, bold leadership is this. It's God's work with our hands. God's work, our hands. Point number three that we can learn from Deborah is don't go alone. Judges 4 shows this incredible partnership between Barak and Deborah. It shows that Barak needed Deborah, and Deborah responded with grace and truth. She didn't respond, you weakling, of course you need me. She said, of course I'll go with you. And her truth part was, but you need to know, you're not going to get the glory. And she wasn't talking about herself. She wasn't saying, I'm awesome. She was talking about Jael. She was prophesying and knew that Jael was going to be the one to end the battle with Sisera. Of course, he didn't know that at the time. But by God's direction, Deborah orders Barak to raise up an army and fight Jabin's, and Barak insists on her presence. Deborah says yes, I believe, because those who call someone to a duty better be ready and willing to do it themselves. When you, call, when you ask someone to do something, you better be willing to do it yourself. And there's a really interesting uh, perspective from a lot of other you know, preachers and commentators about why Barak would not go without Deborah. Why did he refuse to go without her? And you know, there's a lot of people say, well, he was just a scaredy cat. He's just a weakling. But I would suggest this morning the opposite. I would suggest that Barak desired Deborah's prophetic ability and her wisdom. He saw the anointing all over that woman. And he knew that two heads are better than one. I'm not going into that battle without you, Deborah, because I will fail this mission without you because God is all over you. I need you by my side. If I go without you, it'll likely be a failed mission. And this is the perspective that every single one of us should have, that we should never go alone. Bring people with you. God incarnate didn't even try to do life alone. Why do we? He surrounded himself with his 12 disciples and crowds constantly. Christianity, I found out through my own experiences, some difficult experiences, it's not a solo sport. Sometimes certain personalities want to do it on their own, and I would be one of them. But I found that it's not like golf or swimming or tennis, but it's really a lot more like basketball and soccer and football. Life is meant to be lived together. Victories and failures are meant to be shared. Our weakness must be matched with others' strengths. Boldness comes from others. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have not been bold. I have not had the strength. I have not been brave. But I have had people around me who were bold for me who believed in me and who were bold and stood in the gaps when I couldn't do it for myself. We must be like Deborah and be willing to go with other people and to accomplish a mission. And we must be willing to be like Barack and ask for help and say, I need you. Would you go with me? 
people want to come alongside and do God's work. They really do. I think that's why all of you are here this morning. We're here because we believe in God's work and we want to partner together to do that out in the world. And I have a great story from another guy that I met in college who uh, was a year behind me, and his name was Aaron. And Aaron and I were chaplains together on campus, and I'd always noticed that he never smiled with his mouth open. And I kind of found out that he was self-conscious about his teeth, but I didn't understand the extent of it. So I have a picture of Aaron's teeth. He, Aaron literally needed dental work on 100% of his mouth. This is a quote from him. I instantly became flushed and embarrassed because my teeth are my biggest demon. I had never talked to anyone about my teeth, even many of my closest friends. Every day is a struggle as I live in pain and shame. On average, I would say I can't go 15 minutes without thinking about it. My teeth affect every aspect of my life, from my self-esteem to my acting career to my day jobs to my general health. My teeth are the way they are because of a number of different factors. When my teeth were first developing as a baby, they developed very soft and sensitive. I grew up without dental insurance and therefore never got to go to the dentist very often. This resulted in a lack of education about how to properly take care of my teeth. And then by high school, my teeth were already deteriorating because of bacteria, which has resulted in the picture that you saw today. Well, then he meets this woman named Valerie. And Valerie was at George Fox, and she was just an amazing person that anyone could talk to about anything. And uh, he graduates, and they happen to meet up for coffee, and Valerie decides to be bold, and she asks the big question, what's with your teeth? And tears well up, and he shares with Valerie, very similar to what I just shared with you, and um, she's overwhelmed with compassion for this young man. And she's like, she said she went into mom zone. Like, I got to do something. I got to make, you know, I want to help him. I want to make this better. And the Lord prompted her to start what's called a GoFundMe account, which many of you have heard of. It's an online website where you can raise money for people in different crises or with various needs. And she started this account and um, decided to try to help Aaron find a dentist that would be willing to take his case on because it was a very special case, 100% of his mouth, every tooth. And they found a dentist, and he said, I'm, you know, I'm committed to make, seeing this through. And they raised over $27,000 just on GoFundMe through, like, mostly strangers. There, was a lot, there were people who knew him or knew of him, but a lot of people who were so moved by this story, they raised $27,000. And this is a picture of Aaron today. And that took a year to complete. A one-year process. And just so you know, as I'm, many of you who've had kids who have braces, $27,000 for a whole mouth isn't going to cover it. So the dentist had said, I'm going to pitch in whatever I can to make this happen, to make the rest of it come to fruition. And so today, Aaron works in downtown Portland, and he works for Airbnb, and he's living a great, wonderful life. And it's all because this one woman, Valerie, was bold to ask a question and quick to action, and then a huge community of people on the cyber, you know, in the internet decided, I want to help this guy. I'm moved by his story. I want him to have a bright future. I want him to go more than 15 minutes without thinking about his teeth. Together, we can go so much farther than we could ever go alone. The second you think you can go alone is the second that you fail. 
So let us boldly ask people to go with us. You know, similar to the cycle we see the Israelites trapped on in the book of Judges, we often find ourselves stuck in the daily grind. The rut of routine and normalcy and the cycle that goes over and over again. But what this story shows us, what the character of Deborah speaks to us today in 2016, is that God wants to break in and pull us out from under our palm trees to lead and change history. I believe that. God wants to use every man, woman, and child together, not siloed, to transform the world. Do you want to be like Deborah? Do you want to be a bold leader? Then you have to know who you are. You have to do your part. And we must go together. The song of Deborah is what Judges 5 is about. It's a story of Deborah and Barak, and they, they write this song, and it says that they sing it together. Again, a beautiful picture of teamwork between a man and a woman in the Old Testament. And it ends with this proverb. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you equip and you empower and you call. Lord, I believe that every single person in here this morning, we are your chosen people. There is no plan B. God, give every person here the strength to be bold, to ask bold questions, to do bold things, to parent boldly, to love boldly, to serve boldly. God, use us. Use me. Let us be willing vessels this morning. Not afraid to take on anything that you may call us to. want to give the opportunity this morning if there's anyone here who's never received Jesus never experienced the peace and the strength that comes from being in a relationship with God if that's you this morning would you just make eye contact with me right now and let me know that you want to receive Jesus we can pray for you we want to give you something this morning anyone at all well Lord we are grateful. We're so full of hope. We're so full of joy. We're so full of expectancy of what you're going to do with our lives. God, thank you that we can approach your throne boldly. Thank you that you give every person here a different set of skills and a different sphere of influence. Lord, may we be bold as we live out the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.